Behind the Scenes. Conversations with European researchers and innovators. It's a common joke among scientists that we are still children, that we never grow up. So if you want to stay a child forever, become a scientist. In this podcast, we'll hear the inspiring stories and journeys of Europe's most brilliant scientists and innovators whose discoveries are having an impact on our daily lives. Here's how they got to where they are. These are our top stories. Our guest today is climate scientist Bologna Itkin. She's talking to us from UIT, the Arctic University of Norway in Tromso. She's working on snow and ice models based on data collected as part of the Mosaic Arctic Expedition. The Deer Ice Project, an EU-funded project under Horizon 2020, supported research aboard the Polar Stern Icebreaker ship. Polona, thank you very much for joining us today to discuss your work. You're in Norway now, but you're originally from a village in Slovenia, right? So could you tell us about your early years and how they shaped your future journey? Yeah, that's right. I grew up in Slovenian countryside. It was actually a very small village. We were just 50 people or so. And I was one of the first children born there after a while. So uh, my childhood was maybe a bit of a loner. And in such environment, it is a joy to make progress. It is like a um, countryside environment. And it is similar in a way on an Arctic expedition. It is a little village where um, people are sharing their lives, their findings, their experience, their enthusiasm, and also, of course, their frustrations and problems. Were you an inquisitive child? I was interested in everything. There was no particular interest in anything very cold. It was just uh, everything that came my way. I like to learn new things and try out new things, which got me into some trouble, of course, but it was fun. Well, it certainly got you all the way from Slovenia to the far reaches of Norway. So what gave you the idea to go there? How did you discover these possibilities? I think it was a very slow discovery, slow but steady. In my childhood, I never really felt that oh, this is what I want to do. I want to be a scientist. I want to solve equations and find out completely new things and go to places nobody has been before. It was a slow childhood, I would say. And I know you went on an Erasmus exchange. Did that give you something different about the ideas of wanting to move abroad or travel to different countries? I think that was a very crucial moment in this growing up. It was the first time when I went abroad for myself to do things that I myself wanted to do. It was in the times, in the early 2000s actually, when Slovenia started to integrate into the European Union and it was one of the first Erasmus programs available. That was a new opportunity. It was something that uh, generations before me actually did not have or it was harder for them because we didn't have Erasmus um, program in Slovenia until early 2000s. And what did you do during your time traveling? Did you get work that led you specifically to become a scientist or was it something you fell into by accident? I think it was more of an accident. In my Erasmus year, I was involved in a student project or actually in a research group at the department where I was hosted, which was in Spain at the University of Sevilla. And with that group, I got my first relevant student job. And I realized that, yes, I can actually do something useful 
with things I have learned at the university. So that was new to me. After finishing my um, Erasmus year in Spain and then doing another training in Finland with another European Union project or program that was Leonardo da Vinci Apprenticeship, I wanted to do a master program in something closer to the Arctic science. And I have picked a master in applied polar and marine sciences in St. Petersburg just because I like the topic that much. And you did manage to join the Mosaic Art Expedition. So explain in simple terms what that was about. I first heard about Mosaic. I didn't have that attractive name at that point, but the idea is more than 10 years old. And it was developed at the Alfred Wegener Institute in Germany, where I was a PhD student some years ago. I thought that's a great idea, but I wasn't really sure it's ever going to work, but it stayed with us and it attracted more and more people. So finally, with a lot of planning, with years of serious and meticulous planning, we achieved the goal of actually starting the expedition and taking the expedition through. And now we're back and we have huge amount of great data that we are right now working on. Today you're studying sea ice. Tell us more about this issue and the problem that you're addressing. Tell us more about the work that you're doing. I'm working with sea ice. That's the frozen ocean floating on top of the Arctic Ocean. And it is very exciting. It is the time to work with this because it is changing. It's changing abruptly, really fast. The summer sea ice cover is literally disappearing and it's going to be all gone, maybe even during our lifetimes. So the knowledge we have from before, from scientists and engineers in the 20th century is not exactly relative today anymore. And our job or my job together with my colleagues is to find out how different it is. It can be difficult to um, organize our research in a way that we are at the right place at the right time. It is a challenge. But I think that the excitement is the prevailing feeling. So you've mentioned challenges. And what was the biggest challenges? As humanity, we have at the moment is climate change. Can you tell us about how your work is connected to that or about how the data might be used? Yes, definitely. So we see a big change in the sea ice in the Arctic Ocean in the sense that it's getting very young. A lot of sea ice is now seasonal. In the past, we had sea ice covering large surfaces of the Arctic Ocean also in the summer, but that is not the case anymore. There is like half of the Arctic Ocean is now ice-free in summer. The ice which is remaining, it's relatively thin and it's getting even thinner and eventually it's going to disappear. This means that in the winter after the summer, the ice is also not growing to such thicknesses as people have experienced 50 years ago. So that kind of system, which is thinner and younger, is behaving in a different way. And the data from Mosaic Expedition is going to help us understand how different they are. And most importantly, we will be able to use this data to run our numerical climate models For now, we have to rely on the older data, which are maybe not that representative 
for the processes we are seeing in the Arctic today. And could you tell us more about what life on board was like in the expedition? Polarstern, the research icebreaker in which we are, has been used in expeditions to the Antarctic and the Arctic for the past 40 years, I think. So it is very well equipped. And uh, there are routines that we had to follow and they're very reasonable. But still, I mean, it is a very confined place. Um, You have to share a cabin. You can't have your own place. It's very hard to hide from people. There is a constant interaction and there is a lot of work to do. So there is work from eight in the morning or we start with the breakfast and then we go to bed late at night. So um, there is this eight hour of sleep if you're lucky and it goes on and on for two months. You have some real personal feelings from being there and seeing it up close. Your observations must be really valuable in providing that sort of information. Yeah, of course, it is beautiful to be out there. It's very interesting. It's something new every day because I spend most of my work time in the office. So I'm finally out there and I love that. And how did COVID-19 impact the organization? How are you working in groups? I was lucky. I was one of the last legs, we call, of the expedition, which was not that much affected by the pandemia. But um, we had some problems on the return. Like they did not want to let our ship into the port for example, because the port was closed due to Corona. So there was some struggle around there. But all the other legs of Mosaic, so the people that came in March and later, had to be reorganized. For example, we couldn't allow senior researchers, people older than a certain age, join the expedition, and we had to replace some names, which was very unfortunate. And uh, we had to make longer shifts so that the logistics were simplified. So it had a large impact and we are extremely proud on ourselves and on our leadership that got us through this. I think that was really exceptional. There were no other Arctic expeditions uh, last summer except ours. And that is very unusual. You started a journey in a small village in Slovenia and now you've been to the wide open spaces of the Arctic. What about young scientists or researchers or maybe somebody you would like to pursue a similar career to you? What advice would you give them? I think international mobility is really essential. I would encourage everybody to go around and build a network. We also haven't done all the work, not everything. There is plenty of new things that we still have to see and experience and measure. And it is also important that once you go to the Arctic, it is not enough to have just the plan. You have to be open for new things that you were not anticipating. So you have to have your eyes open. Maybe a special thing in a dense scientific community is that we are all very driven and motivated to be there. Actually, we also have an understanding of each other. We understand and appreciate each other's work. We are really supporting each other. It's a teamwork. It's a strongly connected team. Actually, the longer we spend together in a confined place, more connected we are. It is a huge and extended family. It is a little village.
we asked Demos Dimaragonis, our previous guest and a professor working on robotics and automated control systems, to ask you a question. So he asks, as a robotics researcher, the main issue in outdoor environments is how we collect data. And so his question to you was, how do you collect data and what types of issues do you encounter? Yeah, I really like this question because it is exactly something we are working on right now. We are still collecting a lot of data by old-fashioned means, like we still drill a hole to see how thick the ice is. We are still walking around and pulling our induction sensors over the sea ice and so on. But we are also turning towards uh, new technologies. We are already using robots. We are using um, underwater robots to explore, for example, the under ice topography or to look at the wildlife and at the ocean properties in the deep with the robots. We are also using drones, for example, to get the surface topography of sea ice and snow surface. And we do hope that we will be using more of them. We, we even have a project at this time running to detect sea ice thickness by an antenna mounted on a drone. And you just got your own drone pilot license yourself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And on Saturday, we're going and testing. We have to practice flying, of course. So, um, yeah, uh, working with robots is also fun. So our next guest in this series is Jason Hezels. He's a professor at the University of Amsterdam, currently working on tracking down the host galaxies of fast radio bursts. What question would you like to ask him? Yes, I was wondering what kind of challenges they are having with their numerical models. I don't think they are working with climate models like us, but numerical models can be also used for radiative transfer or other applications. So um, I wonder what is the biggest challenge that they need to face in theirs? Thank you very much, Polona. It's been a joy to talk to you and hear all about your exciting times in the Arctic. More information on that Mosaic project can, of course, be found online. Check the details of the episode for all the links and information, especially if you are interested in knowing more about EU funding opportunities for your research. And thank you for joining us today. And please do join us for the next episode. This podcast series is brought to you by the European Commission and you can find it on all listening platforms. If you enjoyed this conversation, rate this podcast on all listening platforms and share it with your friends on social media.